0: John's purpose in writing his gospel is, quote, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. No need for another historical biography, Matthew, Mark, and Luke provide that. So John prepares a book with 93% of the content unique. What's not included? No mention of lepers or demon possession, except where the Lord's accused of being a demon-possessed man. John doesn't have Christ's genealogy, birth stories, baptism, temptation, transfiguration, institution of the Lord's Supper, agony in the garden, or ascension. Surprisingly, John provides us the chronology we need for all four Gospels, because he carefully chronicles Jesus' journeys in his three final years to Jerusalem for the Jewish festivals. What does John include? Using a few strong verbs and comprehensive nouns, he mentions the Father 120 times, world 78 times, light 23 times, life 40 times, witness 47 times, believe 99 times, give, given, and gave 63 times, sent 55 times, and truly, truly, marking out some of the great utterances of the Lord 24 times. 5-6 of John are Christ's own words. Like Luke, John presents a gospel for the world, but a gospel suited for the individual, as seen in the many personal interviews held by our Lord. There are seven I Am's in John, where Jesus takes the title of deity, but deity ready to meet our needs. It's often noted that Jesus knows. John's purpose is to convince us that Jesus is the Messiah, the Anointed One. Three offices were held by anointed men, prophet, priest, and king. No man in history has filled all three offices, but our Lord did, and to perfection. In chapters one through 12, he's God's great prophet. What's his message? God himself. He's the revealer of God in the way that the Old Testament prophets could not be. Our Lord is the Word, the Son, the visible revelation of the invisible God. There are only eight miracles here. John uses the stronger word signs, a miracle with a message. No parables or stories are recorded. Our Lord presents himself to his own in John 1 11, but the following 12 chapters reveal that his own received him not. In fact, John 12:37 is the pivot. Though he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. In chapters 13 through 17, he's the great high priest. Rejected by Israel, the Lord turns to his own who have received him, speaking to them for God, and then in chapter 17, speaking to God for them. His disciples face a world that hates them, but they're not left without resources. They're armed with his words, his joy, his love and peace, and empowered by another comforter. This section begins with ceremonial washing and ends with prayer, just like priestly service in the temple. Chapters 18 through 20 are the account of our Lord's crucifixion. Yet we find him referred to as a king no less than 11 times. As we see him before Pilate, we wonder who's on trial. The king calmly does what he must to fulfill the scripture. He regally dismisses his own life, only to take it three days later in glorious majesty. Chapter 21, the epilogue, binds the gospels to Acts, where the master provides three illustrations that the church desperately needs today, fishing, evangelism feeding shepherding and following christ lord help us to do this and that's our scripture snapshot of the gospel by john good
1: morning good morning it's been a little while since we studied the book of john this time we're spending a whole month in the book and the way we framed all of these sections over the summer this fall and next spring There's a lot of interconnectedness. So today, my lesson may feel a little bit like the beginning of a course, and I'm bringing you the syllabus to tell you all of the things that are in this amazing book. Um, We'll spend a little bit of time. We'll hear some references and scriptures and topics that we covered in the summer, some that we just covered in the Jesus series, or they're coming up soon. Um, So I hope as we hear these verses and we revisit the themes, um, that those will start to really land with us and stick with us. The book of John is, as uh, Jabe Nicholson mentioned, it's a unique book in the gospel. It's not, a, it's not a chronological biography. It's not written with quite the same purpose. Um, it's most likely that this book was written by John the Apostle, who was one of Jesus' disciples, probably while he was in Ephesus, sometime before the year 100 A.D. Um, it seems like probably in the late 80s or 90s. Um, and so with that time of thinking, the church has already been growing Um, He focused on just teaching us who Jesus is and helping to explain. And I love the fact that the book is almost entirely the words of Jesus. So um, a few months ago in our creation series, we actually spent a whole lesson talking about the prologue to John and how related to the themes of creation. Um, We won't spend a lot of time studying it today, but because it so strongly informs us who John believes Jesus is— and because it's an eloquent and powerful section of Scripture. We're going to read it right at the beginning to set the, set the stage for this lesson. So let's read John 1, uh, 1 through 18. You'll probably know a lot of these words almost by heart. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made known. And through the rest of the book, John helps us see what Jesus has made known. So today we'll look broadly over the book of John and see how it relates to those other series um, about God's identity, Jesus' identity, and our upcoming series in the spring about the Spirit's identity. Um, So as we heard in that snapshot video, much of the book is a direct quotation of Jesus' words, so we're going directly to the source of truth itself to hear what he says on these topics as well as a few others. First, I want to read a summary from the Tyndale Commentary by Colin Cruz that sums up what's covered Um, in the book of John, just because I think he wrote this so well. And I love how it captures a lot of the themes. The gospel of John is unique in its portrayal of the person and work of Jesus. He is equal and one with God, the father, and is the agent of creation, the revealer of God and full of grace and truth. He is the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate of the sheep, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way and the truth and the life, the true vine, The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and the Savior of the world. His words are full of spirit and life, and those who believe in him will never die spiritually. Even though they die physically, they will live. He will raise them up on the last day. It is also unique in its portrayal of God the Father. He is spirit and seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He has life in himself and he granted Jesus to have life in himself also so that he can give eternal life to all who believe in him. Out of his great love for the people of the world, he gave his son so that they might have eternal life. To know him through Jesus Christ is to experience eternal life. And it is unique in its teaching about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. By the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit, people are born from above and become children of God. He is the living water that wells up to eternal life within those who believe, and it flows from Jesus through them. He comes as the advocate to be with believers forever after Jesus returned to the Father to teach them and to bear witness to Jesus alongside their witness. The prologue that we read teaches us several things about God, that he's existed from the beginning of all things, and no human has seen his face before Jesus. In John six forty six, it says, Not that anyone has seen the Father, Except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. And Jesus also teaches us that the Father has life in himself. His self-existence does not rely on anyone or anything. But because he is life, he can raise the dead. In John 5, 26, Jesus said, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And just a few verses earlier, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. We also learn that to know God is eternal life. And this is eternal life in John 17, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus told the woman at the well in Samaria in John 4, 23 and 24, but the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. For the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus also taught us that the Father has only one Son. And we see that the Father has transferred the reward of belief to that Son, so that knowing God now comes through knowing the Son. In John 3.16, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And in these following passages, the Father loves the Son, glorifies the Son, and is one with the Son. John three thirty five says, "The Father loves the Son, and has given all things into His hand." In John seventeen five, and now Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. John fourteen nine through eleven, Jesus said to him, "Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip?" Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father, and I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. And Jesus spends time teaching directly about himself as well. In chapter one, John doesn't even delay sharing Jesus' claim about himself. In John 1, 50 to 51, we hear that he's the son of man that Daniel saw in his vision in the Old Testament. Verse 50, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God descending, ascending and descending on the son of man. Jesus then continues to teach us that he, the Son of Man, has been given the authority of judgment. John 5.27, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. But Jesus also reveals that his judgment is about more than punishing wrong. It's also about restoring right. In John 9.39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. And although he shrewdly redirected the words and questions of hateful skeptics, because his time for death was not yet come, when he was speaking to those with soft hearts, such as the woman at the well, he clearly stated that he was the Messiah. In John four, twenty-five and twenty-six, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I, who speak to you, am he. He also assured us that he was the source of eternal nourishment and life. In John 6, 47 through 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Echoing John's prologue, Jesus declares that he is the light that illuminates the world in John 8:12. <clears throat> Jesus spoke to them saying, "I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." And in John 10, Jesus says that he is the good shepherd who is one with the father, unites the sheep with the father, that he will lay down his life for those sheep and that he is the only shepherd for all sheep, uniting all flocks under him. John 10, through 17, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. And in chapter 14, Jesus makes this well-known statement. Chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him he uses another metaphor to instruct us in living his his disciples one that will actually be the theme of our christmas lesson in john 15 verses 1 and 5 i am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser i am the vine you are the branches whoever abides in me and i in him he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing and at the end of this book, Jesus demonstrates that he has the power to send the Spirit to his followers. In John chapter 20, verse 22, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. John's account of Jesus also teaches us about the Spirit. We'll spend more time learning about the Spirit in February, but for now, let's look at some of the times that the Spirit's discussed in John The First chapter, verse 32 and 33, John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. It's possible this moment distinguishes Jesus from the prophets and judges, who testified of specific times the Spirit came. Here the witness is that the Spirit remained with Jesus. In the same passage, we see that where John baptized with water, Jesus baptized with Spirit. In essence, his provision of the Spirit to a follower was the witness that they were his. John also records that Jesus' access to the Spirit was much greater than what we had witnessed before. In John three thirty four, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. We also learned something of the privilege it must be to have access to the Spirit of God so freely. Jesus' ultimate mission was to reestablish the spiritual order that was dissolved in Eden. Because we'd broken trust with God and rejected relationship with Him, Jesus' ultimate sacrifice was necessary to pay for that sin and restore each of us into the priesthood, granting us communion with God's Spirit once again. In John seven thirty nine, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. It's also made clear that spiritual rebirth in the Spirit is a necessity to see eternal life, just as Jesus told Nicodemus, which is a lesson that we'll visit more in depth in December. John 3, 3-5, Jesus answered him, speaking to Nicodemus, But Jesus said the Spirit wasn't only a guarantee of eternal life, but would be a comfort, an advocate for his followers on earth, as well as a teacher and spiritual guide. In John fourteen sixteen through 17, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you. And will be in you. And in verse 26, he said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. As Jesus taught his disciples before he died, he explained that the Spirit would guide them to the truth that aligns with Jesus and the Father and bring glory to Jesus in the same way Jesus brought glory to the Father and the Father brought glory to Jesus. In chapter 16, verses 12 through uh, 13 through 17. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for I will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Throughout John, we also hear Jesus emphasizing that eternity is now, that his presence has brought the kingdom of God to hand. Mm -hmm. Even though the last day was not yet upon the world, his followers could live fully reunited with the Father in a spiritual kingdom, experiencing eternal life in this present moment. John 5, 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. I believe that we've also learned in our study of the New Testament that a common false teaching Paul and the other New Testament authors had to fight was the belief that following Jesus did not require any change in lifestyle or behavior. But we hear throughout John Jesus calling his disciples to follow him, to behave like him, And in fact, assurance that anyone who does not behave like him is not one of his. He is clear that belief in him alone is sufficient to redeem, but any truly redeemed will become more like him. In John 15, verses 7 through 17, he discusses this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So that you will love one another. When we studied 2 Peter, we learned a progression of behavior, something like a ladder of faith that had perfect love as its ultimate attainment, possibly implying that the only way to achieve the love that Christ demonstrated was through careful, diligent application of faith and discipline. In John 17, Jesus prays to the Father for his disciples and all who follow after them, specifically praying that they become one as the Father and Son are one. And as the son is united to them, it's fundamentally necessary to become like Jesus. If we are to succeed in truly loving and unifying with our fellow believers, as we collectively unite with Jesus, who has reunified us with the father, John 17 verses 14 through 26. We hear this beautiful prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples and for their fruit. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. A survey in the whole book of John leads me to believe that Jesus was making a consistent statement throughout. It's not enough to know about God, to know the things that Jesus did and cognitively accept their meaning. There's more to knowing him. In John 5, 39, speaking to the leaders, Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. I believe Jesus wants us to know that in order to see his kingdom, to be reborn, to drink those springs of living water, that we must know the person of Jesus intimately as a friend. That is why he took on the form of humanity and why he sent the spirit after his ascension. He calls us to know him, to trust him, to learn from him, and to be more like him. In fact, John tells us what the whole purpose of writing his book was. John 20, 30 through 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you have life in his name. I believe my favorite story in all of the Gospels reflects this easy friendship. After Jesus had died and after his resurrection, some of his disciples found themselves plying their old trade out in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberius, as the sun rose, hoping to fill nets with fish, but instead coming up empty. I've always seen this moment in their story as an act of desper- desperation or confusion, that the wild ride had ended, and now they had no choice but to go back to their old lives, forgetting that they were fishers of men rather than fish. However, now that we spent a couple years reading through the Bible and its context and in all of its unity, I have a different thought about this story. After all that they had experienced, Jesus calling them into purpose and hope, witnessing astonishing miracles, feeling their minds and hearts opened up to a universe of meaning, the heart-shattering betrayal and loss as the one who loved them most was beaten and killed, and then the almost disorienting joy, his resurrection— I think together that they may have just wanted to be somewhere that reminded them of Jesus and think of them in the evening, reminiscing and reminding each other of all that they had witnessed, talking about the stories from the boat on the Galilee storms, calmed nets filled hours alone with the teacher as he comforted them, challenged them and laughed with them. And now as it was getting dark, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and a couple others found themselves out of words. Of course, it was Peter who looked around at the others as his eyes lit up and said, I'm going fishing. And Jesus knew where they would be. He wanted one more time to be alone with them to eat and talk and to point them to heaven. Let's read John 21 verses 1 through 19 for this whole story. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Now none of his disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these?
2: In one of the most beautiful stories following Jesus' resurrection, we find Him back in His homeland along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Seven of Jesus' disciples had gone out to fish when Jesus came walking along the shores of the sea and started a charcoal fire to cook them breakfast, although they had no idea this was happening. Ironically, this marshy and lush part of the lake is immediately adjacent to the traditional spot where Jesus is thought to have fed the 5,000. The site commemorating this miracle is known as Tabgah. A church known as the Church of the Multiplication, enclosing the bedrock thought to be the place where Jesus prayed and multiplied the food, stands for visitors to contemplate Jesus' miraculous ministry in Galilee. But back to the story. Jesus calls to his friends in the boat asking if they've caught anything. And in due course, he invites them again to cast their nets on the other side. He's done this before. And when they haul in another huge catch, Peter knows it's Jesus on the shoreline. He can't even wait to sail the boat ashore. He dives in to get to Jesus. And in a beautiful picture of the love of Christ, they all have breakfast together. The Galilean site known as the Church of Peter's Primacy exists today on the ruins of a chapel that was first erected in the 300s to commemorate this spot. The ancient stones along the shore have for nearly 2,000 years been thought to be the place where the friends and the resurrected Savior shared this breakfast before Jesus departed the earth. Here, Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him. And instructed him, feed my sheep. The church of Peter's primacy and Tabga, the church of the multiplication, stand as testaments of two of Jesus' miracles, one before and one after his death and resurrection. On the shores of the Sea of Galilee, a visitor must deeply contemplate the words of Christ spoken to Peter that day. You Follow me.